All right, so we are on to class design and planning. And uh, in the study guide here, they've got some definitions of three group fitness methods, pre-choreographed, pre-designed, and freestyle. So pre-choreographed is created by a single person, business, or organization with a connecting theme, brand, or experience. Example would be Les Mills. Uh, pre-designed is template provides overall direction while allowing manipulation of other variables. To me, example would be Zumba. And freestyle is choreography based on instructor's personal preference, skills, and knowledge. That's pretty uh, self-explanatory. Now, when you're planning a class, the next section has a few items about planning. Uh, your class vision you want to have, outcome and objective considerations, smart goals, a flow, and a pre-class setup as well as an outro, so what you would say at the end. And then there's a nice little chart here, it's a checklist for your pre-class planning, then what you would want to make sure you include in an intro uh, when you're doing prep, movement prep, um, whether it's a warm-up or whether it's prepping a single move in that sequence, how you're demonstrating it, how you're explaining it, um, what you're gonna do to get that explanation out, and then do the skill, obviously, um, making sure you've got your body of workout so the actual workout itself is structured nicely, it's got transitions, it's got flow, you're using all the different principles uh, to get good results for your participants, and then, um, the outro so what things you would want to say at the very end so I really like this checklist um, it's nice because it also gives you uh, a way to see what areas you really need to work on so I irony is I did a podcast episode with my sister who's an actress and comedian uh, does improv all of that good stuff and her my focus for our podcast episode was for her to help me with intros and outros because when I finish a class, I literally don't know what to say. I'm just like, hey, thanks for coming. Yay. Like, and I just feel so weird because there was such energy and it just took it to such a height during the class that at the end, it's like, feels like anything you say at the end is just what? Like, what are you saying? <laughs> so I really like this chart, this uh, group fitness class checklist. Uh, definitely something you want to make sure that you, um, you have and all the way the whole time you teach so I've been teaching over 30 years and I still when I want to do a specific workout or let's say I've practiced a whole new routine couple routines for Zumba I want I do this exact checklist I put it all together I want to make it maybe an interval workout so fast dance songs or fast like merengues and then you know bring it down to like some something else and then bring it back up so I do all of this still to this day so that's pretty awesome um, it also talks about here in the study guide participant arrangements. So how you can have your participants in your class, whether you could have them staggered in a row, circuit style so that, that you can move from station to station um, or a circle. So um, a good example for circle is uh, body attack. They like to get in circles and jog to and from in the middle. Uh, circuit, obviously a circuit training class. So you've got your station set up, could be in a circle. Um, in a row, that's pretty standard. Most people in staggered, same thing, rows, but staggered. Um, then it talks about some group fitness formats. So it goes over all the basic ones you would see in a regular uh, gym or a fitness facility. So, you, so you'd see strength and resistance classes, hit and interval classes, boot camp classes, 
mind-body classes, cycling classes, and then special formats that would include dance, aquatics, active aging adult, uh, discipline-specific, equipment-driven, hybrid formats, etc. So it just kind of goes over, you know, a little a definition of each one of those. Um, what I do like is it does a little bit of extra when it comes to cycle. Um, however, you could do the same thing for step. And it just talks about proper bike fit and about where the seat should be and the handlebars. And I feel it's the same thing you should do for step. Um, just, you know, explaining how many risers and why you pick this height of risers and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, anything equipment driven, definitely there's the opportunity for movement prep and an intro to just make sure people, you know, are safe. Um, and then there's some on the spot considerations. It talks about unexpected participants, space limitations, equipment changes, uh, timing challenges, managing conflicts. So ideally, I mean, these are all self-explanatory, what you need to be kind of considerate of and aware of and have backup plans for when you have unexpected participants or when they come in late or so you don't have the same space, you've moved to a different room or studio, you have no equipment, usually do, or vice versa, um, you know, timing challenges, if classes are booked back to back, that's a very big thing in most clubs, they do try to space it out, but to get all your participants out of the class before you and get yours in and get started on time and get the full workout in, it's always been a challenge since the beginning of time, I believe. <laughs> Um, and then obviously managing conflicts. So that's a hard one. Uh, if you're doing your own business, it's probably easier when you are working for a company. Uh, there's obviously protocols and procedures, but it's also a challenge just because humans are humans. And when they get emotional, they can't hear or see any protocols or policies or so. Anyway, so that was a really good little section on... Um, class uh, preparation and just design and planning okay so the next part of the um, study guide for class design and planning so basically teaching your fitness class is class instruction and presentation so this section goes over music considerations communication strategies coaching and motivation teaching and learning styles and cueing techniques. So at the very beginning, it goes over music, talks about the benefits of music while exercising. Uh, three things, uh, disassociation, synchronization, and motor learning. Um, definitely, I have a, I experienced all of these, so it's amusing to me. Uh, disassociation is um, the music will divert your mind from feelings of fatigue and lowers the perception of effort. So the only problem with that is I found that when I used to run, train for half marathons, I would run to the beat because A, I could not run without any music because running is really hard and exactly what it says, like music lowered the perception of the effort. However, I would run on a beat and the downbeat, which was coming up next to explain, um, and my one hip would be always in like serious pain. I'd roll it out after a long run, had to get like adjustments like twice a week when I was doing half marathons because um, my one hip, because I would put the emphasis on that one foot because I would be almost too much into the music. It wasn't dissociating me with me, from me. 
And I know a lot of runners, they literally, it's just background music and it does exactly what this definition says. They don't even think about the run and it's just background music. For me, it's the absolute synchronization of it, which is the next benefit of music. So moving, it helps improve the my efficiency. Like if the music was fast, I would run a bit faster. If it was like jogging speed, I would jog, right? So the synchronization of it's super huge. Um, in terms of benefits of music. And then lastly, motor learning. So music replicates forms of human locomotion. So um, yeah, like strides and pace and um, intensity. So a lot of that stuff we do in life, um, if you're doing it repeatedly to music, um, like choreography, you are doing locomotion, right? You're walking forward three steps of the tap, or you're doing grapevines, or you're deking from side to side in a boot camp type class. So music, definitely, I have a really hard time teaching or doing anything if the music is not synchronized. So even when it's spin class, even when it's boot camp, um, I tend to choreograph or get music in a playlist that replicates the actions that I want to do. So maybe you're not on the beat exactly, but if it's a fast song, it's a we're doing high intensity movements. If it's a slower song, we're doing uh, less intense. So uh, the next section talks about music and itself, the core um, things like your downbeat, 32 count phrasing, music in the background, music in the foreground or forefront, uh, the sound level. That's probably a big one to make sure you're I'm aware of. Um, just the fact that the permissible exposure is 85 decibels over eight hours. So keeping in mind that you got to know your crowd as well as the policies at wherever you're teaching. Uh, 85 decibels is really not that loud, to be honest with you, but for some people it really is. So most facilities have uh, earplugs for participants if they really need to use them. Um, but you can always, you know, recommend them. They stand in a certain spot in the room away from the speakers, that sort of thing. Um, you can also you know, look to teaching uh, the opposite way of where the speakers are. So you go to the back of the room and they've turned to you. So the music's coming at the back of them as opposed to like blaring in their faces. Lots of things you can do if uh, sound is an issue. Cause you know, some, some classes you need that intense sound. You can't have like super quiet music for Zumba or you know, that type of thing. So understandably so, you gotta be safe. So that talks about the decibel levels. Um, it also is a couple of charts. Uh, one is the recommended music tempo or beats per minute BPM for common class formats. So basically just saying, you know, if you're doing bar or Pilates, like a mind-body class, the beats per minute typically would be, you know, in the 120s. If you're doing like yoga, you definitely would be below 100 beats per minute. Uh, there's a chart right next to the recommended tempo. It's called, it says recommended genres or styles. So for example, in yoga, you would use something that's, you know, exotic or ambient, world music, indie or alternative music, something softer, quieter, probably don't need the beats um, as much. And then it just goes over the rest of the classes, like step, you, they suggest, you know, pop or thematic or decade compil compilations. That's a good suggestion just because step aerobics started like in the 80s. So, you know, that's where it's most popular. And usually songs, remixes are great. They've come out. Um, so yeah, music. And then it goes over communication strategies. Uh, there's four different 
strategies, supportive communication, nonverbal communication, one-way communication, and two-way communication. Pretty self-explanatory. Supportive communication is one that creates climate of trust, caring, and acceptance. Nonverbal communication is pretty much any communication other than written or spoken language, um, like things like body language. Uh, One-way communication is when the instructor sends the message with no confirmation of receipt from the receiver. So I say something, hey guys, I need four more. I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you to tell me if you've done four more. I'm telling you to do four more kind of thing. Um, so you're getting more kind of like a boot camp style. And then two-way communication is when the instructor sends the message and the receiver communicates a response back. So how are you guys doing out there? Yeah, great. Uh, sorry, coaching and motivation is next. A little bit of a bigger section. Uh, talks a lot about um, different ways to correct people, um, different ways to cue uh, motivation in terms of extrinsic and intrinsic so doing things that will um, you'll feel the benefits uh, externally um, and then intrinsic motivation is when you do things and you feel the benefits internally uh, cognitive influences is kind of a neat uh, term that I don't usually use but I definitely use the inner dialogue reference that they put here in the definition so they say cognitive influences uh, is uh, the inner dialogue influence on your behavior, your confidence, your self-talk, performance accomplishments, modeling, verbal persuasion, and imagery. So I definitely use that. I just never call it cognitive uh, influences. So that's kind of uh, something I want to keep in the back of my head. It's more than likely there'll be a question that'll say that and I'll be like, what? So yeah, uh, it talks about uh, interpersonal influences, affective influences. So things like that affect you or affect your like emotions sensation influences so physical feelings related to the behavior and behavior influences so things that when you do something there's a not a repercussion but there's a result you do a and then b happens and then uh there's a little bit on my favorite thing the trans theoretical model where you go through the stages of behavior change so i talk about that in my book and it's just really the um basis for like all uh, activity to be honest with you that you want to actually see some results so I mean it's not just fitness it's literally anything where you want to see results you go through these changes um, these stages of behavior change so got them they mentioned that which is great and then they talk about teaching and learning styles so they talk about the participant centered approach the show tell do Yikes, got cut off there. Okay, my alarm went off and then it stopped the recording. <laughs> Such is life. Anyway, um, let me talk about that a little bit. Just before it got cut off, we um, were talking about teaching and learning styles and uh, the participant-centered approach where you place the needs of the group above the desires of the instructor and that show-tell-do method. That's where it got cut off. But that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, most pre-choreographed programs really emphasize this and put it in the notes for new in for instructors. So new instructors do really like it's really helpful to have uh, to do pre-choreographed uh, programs. Ooh, ambulance, ambulance, and popo. Okay, well, you know what? When you got to study, you got to study any way you can. So, um, yeah, so the show, tell, do method 
is definitely a good way to um, outline your your class when you're doing movement prep. Um, there's also the styles of teaching. So there's cue-based teaching, visual-based teaching, mirroring, reflective imaging, and timed coaching. So those are all pretty self-explanatory. Cue-based is when you're giving con continuous, reliable, uh, precise verbal cues simultaneously with the movements. Visual-based is when you're demonstrating form and technique and providing a comprehensive view from start to finish. Mirroring or mirror imaging is when you face the class, so their left is your right, etc. And reflective imaging is when you face the same direction as the class, so you're facing the mirror and you're using the mirror to um, coach your movements. And then time coaching is verbal coaching, motivational phrasing, motivational phrasing to help you push through timed movement sequences. Obviously, hit interval boot camp, push you through. You got 10 seconds left or um, spin when you're doing um, sprints or Tabatas, etc. And then it talks about the teaching methods. So you've got part to whole, repetition reduction, simple to complex, and slow to fast. So pretty self-explanatory part to whole. You're teaching part of a movement sequence. Um, and then you teach a second part or the second part of it. And then you put it all together. And you teach the whole thing put together. And then you could do that several times with several different individual combinations or sequences. So you have your whole routine. Um, repetition, reduction would be you teach a move. And you'd repeat it until you've mastered it. And then you would decrease the number of repetitions the second time around, re reduce again and reduce again. So the best example is uh, I might teach something for 16 reps, a move for 16 reps. Then the next time around, eight reps. Then the next time around, four, two, until I'm doing singles. So that just increases your complexity in terms of uh, intensity. Um, simple to complex. Okay, so that's obviously when you're teaching um, a movement or a choreography, you do a basic move and then you can layer or add on complexity to that basic move. So um, I do that a lot in, um, when I teach, it's called a, it's just like a dance fitness class. And so I will say, okay, we're marching. Now we we'll march, but turn your knees in. That's a merengue. But if you don't like that, keep marching. You can always march. Uh, three steps forward with a tap and three steps back with a tap. If you don't want to move, just march on the spot. Three steps and then tap. So you're always kind of giving that option um, to go simple and then layer. And then lastly is slow to fast. I do this a lot again in the dance classes. If I'm teaching certain car, uh, combination, um, we'll do things half time. And then tempo. Maybe that particular move has a double time component to it. So then you pop up to tempo time. And that's just another way to teach uh, movements or sequences. And then lastly, it talks about the visual, auditory, and kinesthetic model. So that is exactly as it sounds. Um, visual is learning by seeing or watching. Auditory is learning by listening. And kinesthetic is learning through movement or a touch. And there is some cueing techniques talks about um, three-dimensional cueing 
hands-on cueing, positive-based cueing, and then four and two-beat cueing. So three-dimensional cueing is when you use visual, auditory, and kinesthetic learning into your cueing, taking that into consideration when you're doing your cues. Um, I would say the best example is the show-tell-do, right? Um, hands-on cueing, obviously, you would help the participant through touch, mostly mind-body classes uh, lend itself to that sometimes um, resistance training classes if it's not like a tempo based class like body pump um, I used to use a lot of um, directing through touch uh, and uh, when I coach TRX right so you're using a piece of equipment you want to go over and make sure the person feels the work where they're supposed to feel it um, positive based cueing is when you use words to cue to the solution not the problem uh, four beat cueing and two beat cueing just means when you're counting down from eight, you will provide some verbal and or visual cues on counts, either four more, three more, two more. You may say that you might use your fingers. Um, so you would count down to four or maybe it's two beat cueing. You would count down from eight and then give cues like in the last two counts. And then finally, there's a big long list of types of cues. Um, all of these look super familiar to me. Some of them I wouldn't use those terms. So I'm going to kind of make a note beside them because that's probably what's going to show up on the exam. And I'm going to be all overthinking it because I see this long fancy word when really I use, the, use that type of cueing. I just don't call it that. So the list is personal cues, safety cues, motivational, inspirational, alignment, respiration, rhythmical, informational and educational, numerical, anatomical, directional, empowering, spatial, and movement. So probably the two that, I mean, I use them all the time, I just don't call them that, is respiration cues, reminding people when and how to breathe, do it all the time, and spatial cues, uh, one's body in relation to other participants or equipment. I use that all the time. I just don't call it that. So I'll just make a little note. Excellent. We are almost done the study guide. We just have environmental and safety considerations and a little bit on professionalism and then yay we have it all set into an audio form and i can pop it into my ear in the mornings or when i'm on the treadmill or even when i'm trying to go to sleep and then prepare for this exam awesome